And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. Oh, thank you, worship team. So needed that. What words of huge declaration about who our God is. Set apart, set apart, set apart. Well, Harvest, grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3. Uh, we're big about the Bible at Harvest, right? Harvest Peoria? Right? All about the Bible. So if you didn't bring your Bible with you today, there's some in the back of the seats there. I think it's page 838. We're in Mark chapter 3. We are in a series going through the gospel of Mark. Uh, Be amazed by Jesus Christ. I was so grateful here, just as you're turning there, so grateful for Pastor Nate and Pastor Cody these last couple Sundays coming in and taking these Sundays. And I love our guys having the opportunity to preach and be a part. And just in God's timing was so sweet. I've just been having a horrible cold these last three weeks and getting from that. And just that time was perfect for that, as well as uh, just kind of accountability to you, uh, using that time for me to work on more of my schooling. And Lord willing, I'll be sending in chapter one of my doctoral work here this week. So there is a God. Just want you to know that. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, one of the objectives, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the objectives that we are having in this series is not just to go through data, but part of our objectives is to help you grow and learn how to more effectively read God's Word. And I'm not just talking about reading more content. I'm really talking about how you approach God's Word. God's Word is written in kind of different genres of literature. And here we are in what's called narrative. It's story. It's gospel narrative. It's the story of Jesus Christ. But what oftentimes happens is when people approach this reading, they oftentimes approach it in a few ways. Like here, here are a few that come to mind. One, oftentimes people approach reading the gospels like reading a biography. It's just there to tell a story. It's there to provide event by event, chronological history of the life of a person. Well, it is telling about Jesus, but also the fact of the matter is, is the authors are not so concerned all the time about chronological order. Uh, We've mentioned that with the book of Mark. Mark is not so concerned about putting all the events together. Mark has another purpose in mind. So it is biography, but you don't read it like a biography. Another way people approach it oftentimes is kind of like a historical novel. Well, it's like, man, it is like this rock and roll cool story about this guy who grew up in poor place as a carpenter's kid and kind of came into this crazy renowned worldwide platform. And it's just kind of like a a motivating, interesting, be encouraged kind of a novel. It's not. It's not just reading a story like that. It's also not a devotional guide. In other words, Mark did not write it for the purpose of being a devotional guide. And one of the things we're trying to do in this series is help you look past the headings. Now, I appreciate the chapter breaks. I appreciate the headings in it even. But oftentimes what that ends up doing is we lose the flow of movement of what Mark is trying to accomplish in writing this. And we see these little devotional chicken nugget things. It's like I'm going to read a chapter a day to get my spiritual nugget for the day. I can just tell you, if Mark were sitting here, he'd be like, um, didn't write it with that in mind. Now you're saying, so should we not have devotions in our scripture? Yes, we, we do that, but, but follow along with me in this. So it's not a biography per se. It's not a novel. It's not a devotional guide. And by the way, it's also not the kind of thing of, I'm just reading it to find out what they did then and we'll do it today. Well, if you're going to take that approach, then part of the problem is let's get the snakes and the dice. And let's go at it because it talks about doing stuff like that, especially at the end of the gospel of Mark. And yet we don't do that, right? Wait, are are you not sure? (laughs) Really, we don't do the snake thing around here. I want these guys to know from Peoria. Okay, right? Okay, we don't, we don't. So instead, Pastor Cody made mention last Sunday, when we read through these, we really should be asking the question, what is the theological purpose behind why Mark is writing this? Let me maybe state that in a different way. Read it understanding Mark is seeking to tell you about somebody and he's making a case for it. Mark has an argument to make. He's not trying to get into a fight. 
But Mark is trying to help us understand something. And so he pulls things together, even clusters them together. In fact, chapters 4 really through 6 is an entire cluster of all these scenes and accounts that are all telling one big thing about Jesus. And he's moving this argument along. So here's how I want for us to be able to think about this. In fact, you can see the picture on the screen of, of, of a paintbrush with paint. I would like for us to think of what's been happening here is Mark is doing intellectual art for us. What he's been doing is scene by scene, event by event, he is doing a brush stroke, a color, and he's putting it on the canvas. And we're in the beginning of this whole layout of what's being said. So we're in the beginning of the painting. And you may look at that painting and go, I have no idea really what he's trying to paint on that. But know this, Mark knows exactly why he's using that brush stroke and that color right there at that time. Because as we move through the gospel of Mark, this picture unfolds of who Jesus is. And Mark is trying to paint a picture for who this Jesus is. And friends... You have to see this Jesus. I'm not asking you to see the Jesus that maybe you have perceived in your mind. I'm not asking you to think about the Jesus maybe that you've even heard talk about. What we're doing right now is we're trying to go to this gospel and go, Mark, tell us about this Jesus. Tell us about him. Paint that picture. Okay, intellectual art. This is amazing, amazing stuff as it's put together. Well, so first what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be going through three scenes. There's three scenes. We've been right now for the first three chapters, we've been on about a dozen scenes. And they almost, I'll mention it later, they almost seem a bit random in how they're there, but it's a brush stroke. It's a brush stroke. And we're going to do three more scenes today. And what I'm going to be doing is kind of having a heading subject. And you can see that on the, in the, the update, in the bulletin there, in the sermon notes. There's kind of like a heading there. I think that's where Mark is trying to put on the table. That's what he's trying to paint. But I'm also wanting at the kind of at the bottom of each of these three scenes, there is something that Mark is trying to help us also by watching these scenes we can learn today. We can take away. Because listen, If we're followers of Christ and we're to live more like Jesus Christ, then as we watch Jesus Christ, we go, let's be more of that. Okay? So that's what's going to happen today. Lord, I pray as we dig into your word that you would show yourself. God, we have this canvas being painted. You and your sovereignty have used Mark to be able to pen down this account of who the Savior is. God-written, God-designed words, and yet given through Mark. And Lord, I pray we would just enjoy and savor the artwork that's happening here. That we would see the unfolding of this painting of what's being painted before us. You are amazing, Lord. And I pray right now we would be stunned by you. Help us to know more of you, Lord. More of you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we're in chapter 3. Let's be reminded before we dig in what's been painted so far. If I were to use one word to summarize what's been painted so far, it would be the word authority. What? What word? Authority. What Mark has been doing, like unlike a lot of the other gospels that have the whole scene of Bethlehem and all this kind of stuff, Mark is just like, bam, Jesus is on the scene. And we see this authority, 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 authority. And in fact, what we've been seeing is that his authority has been confirmed. His authority has been confirmed so far by John the baptizer. Uh, In other words, John representing all the Old Testament prophets are confirming this is the Lamb of God. We've also seen Jesus Christ, uh, his, his authority confirmed by God the Father in chapter one. We've seen it confirmed by God the Spirit in chapter one. 
We've also in chapter 1 saw that his authority is confirmed by the angels themselves as they minister to Jesus uh, during the time where he's out in the desert. But not only is authority confirmed, but we've also been seeing how Jesus has authority over things. And here's a list of them. He has authority over Satan. He has authority over demons. He has authority over people's destiny. He has authority over physical disease. He has authority over powerful leaders, authority over teaching and tradition. He has authority over sin, and he has authority over the Sabbath. And it's just like this this shooting of bam, 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 authority, authority, authority that's been going on. Well, also what's been painted for us is some fame. I mean, we've been getting in chapter 2, verse 33, the whole city is gathering together. Verse 37, everyone is looking for you. In verse 45 of chapter 2, it says they're coming from every quarter. And this chapter, as we see today, we're going to be seeing these huge crowds are coming around Christ. His fame is building and it's taking place there and everybody's blown away. They're like, we've never seen anything like this. So authority is there, but authority along with the feel of fame is coming in, popularity, and then there's tension. The religious leaders are ticked off. Say ticked off. It's kind of a fun thing to say sometimes. Just ticked off. And they are big time ticked off. They're ticked off subtly in the beginning and then they're boldly ticked off. We, as Pastor Cody talked last week, there's these four scenes going. And in these scenes, two of them, they're ticked off about what he's doing that they don't think that he should do. And they're ticked off about things that he's doing that, or things he's not doing that they think he should do. The dude can't win uh, with these guys because they are ticked off. (laughs) And then it ends chapter three, verse six. It ends up where they're all trying to figure out how to destroy him. Authority, fame, tension, let's read. Scene one, uh, Jesus withdraws. Uh, The point here I think Mark is getting is Jesus has authority and a title. He has authority and a title. Here we go. Verse seven, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. Now, it's interesting, I just, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but I'm going to note this. He tries to withdraw, but there is absolutely nothing to do with withdrawing in this. Uh, just watch what takes place. Jesus withdrew his, his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd, how big of a crowd? A great crowd followed him from Galilee, Judea, from Jerusalem, Idumea, from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. You get the idea what's going on here? This is like crazy crowd, a big crowd and crazy crowd, uh, lest they crush him. Verse 10, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So what's going on is his fame is increasing. People are coming from all over. Those lists of cities there, we don't really understand where they're at. I'm not going to go through a map. I'll just say this. All of those cities are actually within like a hundred mile radius, or I'm sorry, a hundred mile circumference or area of that. I'm sorry, I've been sick, so my head's still like in La La Land. So it's like a big area, okay? In other words, think of this. It's like central Indiana just collapsing in an Avon right here. I mean, this is huge. Now, why are they coming to Jesus? They're coming to Jesus because they've heard what he's been doing. What has he been doing? As we've been following this, he's been healing people and casting out demons. Now think about it. I mentioned I haven't been feeling well. I've had a cold now that's just like, I can't get rid of this thing for three weeks. And even now, I'm like, I'd walk a couple miles if this thing could just be gone. I don't know about a (laughs) hundred, but maybe a couple. And yet, could you imagine if you were physically in a disease situation to where, I mean, literally, you're hopeless. Well, I'm not talking three weeks. I'm talking months and months and maybe even years. You've got cancer. You've got something serious going on. And you find out there's this guy out there who's healing people. What would you be doing? I'd be like taking a long trek for that. In fact, uh, uh, Pastor Nate a couple Sundays ago referred to the text that talks about how they went and they ripped the roof open. I mean, those people, like, they are desperate to get their buddy to see Jesus and get him healed. Now I'm understanding why this crowd is crazy on top of him. 
Heal me, heal me, heal them, heal them. Listen, I've been dealing with this for years. Come on, man, you can do this. And they're just crushing in on him with what's going. That's the setting of what's happening. And I want to note this. In a setting like that, huge crowds, crazy event going on. Mark could have talked about anything. He could have talked about the numbers of the people in more detail. He could have talked about where those people were coming from in more detail. He could have talked about the types of diseases that were there. Because, you know, it's like on TV, they can always like heal people who are like on a, you know, walking with a crutch. But it's like, dude, get someone seriously out who's down. But he could have talked about all that kind of a thing. Of all the things he could have talked about, I just have to note this. Mark selects one thing out of the entirety of this event to talk about. Take a look at what he talks about because he's building a case for who Jesus is. Verse 11. And whenever the unclean spirits, it's plural, right? Is it plural in your Bible too? Okay, so this doesn't mean like one demon. This means like plural demons. How many demons? I don't know. But by the way the conversation was going before, you get the idea that there's lots Whatever's happening at this event, there's lots of whatever's taking place. And so here, what's talking about the the one thing that Mark picks out, and whenever the unclean spirits, whenever the demons saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Okay. This is not an event of 25 people. This is not an event of probably 200 people. This is most likely an event of thousands of people. And in thousands of people in a world that what it was going on in that day, we just don't quite see this whole demon possession thing in our culture, in our country. Praise the Lord in a lot of ways for that. But, but in that, we don't see a lot of that. But, but in all this, it, it, by the way, it's not just when they heard Jesus talking. It's when they what? saw him. How far away can you see somebody? Well, I don't know the event. I don't know where it's happening, but it can be a ways away, right? Like I can see you guys. I can see you guys back there. If someone were through the door, I could see them out. You can see people from a long ways away. So just trying, I'm trying to understand the setting of this. Was Mark's talking, there's some kind of idea. This massive crowds are coming around Jesus. And within these crowds, these demons, plural, somewhere in this, when they see Jesus, They are falling on their face and they are crying out, you are the son of God. Now, I don't know. Was that the kind of thing as these crowds are coming together and like all of a sudden you hear off in the distance over there, face down, you are the son of God. And then over here, face down, you are the son of God. And then over here, face down, you are the son of God. By the way, is that not a cool event? This is the thing that Mark brings to the table out of everything that took place at this event. Listen, here Jesus is clearly being shown as having authority and a title. Having authority and a title. Uh, Let me talk about that. Authority. They fell down, they cry out, and look at verse 12. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, here's where the discussion ends up usually going on this. Why didn't Jesus want to make him known? Let's talk about the, the whole thinking about that. Listen, I, I, I don't think that's the important conversation right now. I don't think that's what Mark is trying to focus on right now. Here's what Mark is trying to focus on. In this whole event, this craziness that's going on, people with grand intensity and these demons falling face down on their face, crying out, you are the son of God. And in it, Jesus goes, zip it. And the context is clearly that they did. Who has authority to do that? I don't. (laughs) You know, if there was literally, if there was like a demon in here that that did something and and I'm just like, stop it. Okay, just imagine you're a demon. (laughs) Didn't think this was going to happen at church today, did you? But seriously, think about this. It's like someone says, zip it. I'd be like, who are you, dude? You zip it, right? 
We don't see any of that kind of response. Instead, what we see Jesus go is he goes, zip it, and they zip it. We've already seen earlier Jesus in chapter 1, Jesus doing the same thing to other demons. And friends, you have to get a hold of this because this is telling who Jesus is. And in all this authority statement, by the way, he is not doing it in someone else's name. We don't see anything like that. He's not doing, in the name of God the Father, zip it. He is just saying, zip it. He has authority. And know that. This is no normal guy. By the way, he also has a title. What is it from the text? Son of God. And by the way, who's saying that? Man, that sounds so much like Philippians 2.10. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Even demons. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, I I don't have the time today to go through it. We will as we move through Mark. But I just want for you to understand, we, we get missed this terminology, son of God. We think it's birth order. We think son of God means less than. In other words, there's God and then there's the son of. He, he, that, listen, I, I, I can just tell you, in the day, that was not understood that way at all. What it means is son of is equivalent of. This is a divinity statement. Uh, what's happening is the demons are going, you are God. You are divinity. Hey, if you're here today and you're kind of like not sure this whole Jesus thing, or maybe you're even like here by force, I'm glad you're here. I mean that sincerely. And, or if it's the kind of thing you think, man, all these saps getting together doing this guy. Hey, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I, I just really, honestly, I want to say this as you think about this whole process. You need to hear what the demon said. You need to hear what demons called Jesus. I'm not even saying hear what I have to call him. I'm not even saying what other humans have to call him. I'm just out of this text. I'm saying, listen to what demons call him. Demons call him a title that is your divinity. He has a title. And this title that is given makes it very clear that he is not some prophet on steroids. Listen, Muhammad never had it said of him, you are God. And he never claimed that. Nor did Buddha, nor did Confucius, nor did Joseph Smith, nor has any pope. No one receives that kind of terminology, either unless they're insane or they're a liar. Or if they're the real deal. Hear what the demon said. Jesus has authority and he has a title. I just practically, let me kind of maybe step out of that for a second. Practically, just two quick things here. One, in the doing of ministry... This fits with next Sunday. In the doing with ministry, be careful about position and declarations. Because you look at it, what did the demons do? The demons went face down and they cried out making a divinity declaration of who Jesus was. And do know this, they were not redeemed in this. And sometimes just in the doing of ministry, and I'm talking to parents with your children, I'm talking to us as a church. Sometimes we need to be careful about positions and declarations. And what is really happening there, what is really meant behind that, come next Sunday, because uh, the, the parable of the four soils hits on this subject in a big, big way. Uh, One other practical thing here for us to be able to pull out, Uh, I'll term it this way, when matters. When matters on a practical standpoint. Uh, I would think right at this moment for Jesus that this is the time where you open a big ministry. I mean, you've got people coming from a hundred miles away. They're crushing in on him. 
Well, would you not think that right now at that time, that's the time to start a new ministry deal? I mean, build the building, build it big. And bring them in. Pile them on. I mean, obviously God is at work. I mean, find where God is working and join him there. I mean, obviously it's happening right there. Well, oh, build it. Bring them in. Start the programs. You see where I'm going? Um, when matters. And in all this, Jesus doesn't do it right now. In fact, we'll see what he does here in just a minute. You would think that this is the time where it's like, man, look at the needs. There's so many needs. There's so many needs. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. I'm just on the practical side of things here. I'm just saying, be careful. So often our present perceptions and our passions drive the when of doing ministry. And we lose the wisdom of the when. Friends, there are needs all around us. Do know that I know that. Do know that I know that you know that. Do know that you know that. But there is a question of when and how and when is the timing of it. And and we're going to see Jesus is so strategic is my point. He has incredible ministry patience. He's actually to this point, he's been waiting over a year since he talked to the disciples until he actually calls them to be his apostles. I mean, the guy is just a pay, his patient ministry. And he's building the now for what's ahead. Not getting lost in the now. But I have a great idea. There's a need, but it's my passion. But that church does it. Awesome. But when matters. Okay? Jesus has authority in a title. Scene two. Jesus goes up. And Jesus has a plan. Verses 13 through 19. And when he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Wow, we could spend time there. Free will, predestination. Those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12. Whom he also named apostles. So that why? So that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave this weird name that is sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matt. By the way, you can do that when you read, okay? You can just bypass the names at times. <laughs> Some are like really bothered that I, I still don't know how to say it. Uh, Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, that's sad, those last three words. Anyway, Jesus has a plan. Why is Mark putting this in here right now? Well, I think Mark is letting us know that there is a plan. Because if you were to read these first three chapters right up to this point, you would kind of go, this is random. I mean, this guy's here and he's there and he's doing this and he's doing that. And then this is happening and that's happening. And I'll just say, if this kept on going for like five more chapters, you would just kind of start getting the feel that Jesus is like this hippie floating guy just kind of going willy-nilly, figuring it out as he goes along. But, but there's like this pause moment in all the action of the fame and the tension. And he grabs a hold of these guys and he says, listen, you, you, and you come with me. <laughs> Could you imagine that if that was you? There's either two responses. Yeah, yeah, I got picked. Uh, or, uh-oh. What we do wrong? Is that not true? That's generally the response to this. I'm just curious how these guys were, what they were sensing at the moment. But but he but he goes and, and in the scene here he he comes and he's following this plan. He's selecting and he's appointing twelve guys. As I'm reading this, I just ask the question: Why? Why, Mark? I mean, why? Why twelve? Why these guys? 
I mean, seriously, these guys have nothing special about them. I mean, listen, I would be picking popular guys. I would be picking guys that you would think are like kind of, you know, human rock stars from your standpoint. And yet here Jesus is just picking these names of these guys. These are just normal guys. Man, it gives me hope. But he's just picking regular guys. Why these 12? And, and, and why, why go pick 12 guys? I mean, why not take it public? I mean, that's what we do in ministry nowadays. Get a crowd and make it big. But he's going small. Why? Why would he do this? I actually contend that if you don't understand the big deal of this event, you do not, Christ follower, understand the Lord's intention for you. I contend that if you do not understand what's happening right now in this text, you do not understand what Jesus' intention is for you. Let's take a look here. He has a plan. He appoints and he designates some individuals. Hey, you, you, and you, come with me. And he pulls them aside. Uh, uh, They go up. Whatever mountain it is, doesn't matter. They go up. To do what? Why does he appoint them? Why does he designate them? Well, verse 14, that they would be with him. Just be with me. Is that your view of walking with Jesus? I just want to be with him. So I'm asking the question as I'm reading this, be with how long? Uh, 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 Be with how? Here's what's cool. The text doesn't tell us yet. So I'm not going to answer it. He just says this, hey, be with me. Be with me. Okay, next, be with why? Be with to be sent out. Not just be with to be with to be with to be with, but to be with, to be sent out. Sent out where? Sent out when? Sent out why? Text doesn't tell us yet, so I'm going to let it hang. But that's all we're told right now. Sent out how? Note, verse 15, with authority. Sent out with an authority. What authority? Why do you need authority? Well, the text tells us to cast out demons. That takes authority, doesn't it? And how interesting is this? The scene right before it carries the exact same thing that Jesus was doing. Listen, this is intellectual art that Mark is putting together for us out on the table. And far too often, all the little headings in our Bible break it up into these little nuggets that we miss all the connection points. So far, it could be perceived that Mark was painting this picture that Jesus is just this willy-nippy hippie guy. But he's not. I mean, you could walk away with this idea that this canvas is like splattered with random splats of paint. But know this, it's not. There's a purpose for every stroke, a purpose for every color. Everything that Jesus is doing is on purpose. And by the way, be encouraged by that in your own life. You cannot walk away after reading this text with the idea that some are talking about today that Jesus is like coming into himself. Jesus is kind of like not really known who he is, but now he's like coming to understand who he is now. Listen, this is the kind of text that tells you that I'll just say it. That's heresy to think that. This is a man on a mission with a plan. And it even comes in by saying, it's time to go up to a mountain. You, you, and you, I want you to follow me. And I want you to follow me with this purpose. I want you to be with me. And the purpose of you being with me is that you have impact outside of you. And the impact outside of you isn't done by your authority. It's done by another authority. But don't worry about that. We'll take care of giving that authority to you a little later. Just come with me knowing this. You're going out. Did you come to Jesus knowing that? 
Is that your understand of what coming to Jesus was? Or was your idea of coming to Jesus was coming to Jesus was I just get to be with him. He's my magic genie. He's my golden ticket. He's my good luck charm. He's my best friend. He's my boyfriend. And it's all about me and him. I just want for you to know, follower of Christ, one redeemed in Christ, that is not the alone thing for you with Christ, being with him. You are to be with him to be sent out. You are to be with him to have impact beyond yourself. And today, especially in America, we have this view that Jesus is here to be all about me and it's just me and Jesus don't talk to me. By the way, other people, that's their thing. I'm not gifted for that. I'm too shy for that. Hey, we're all different. Believe me, you don't know me well enough to know. I've said before at times, I, within me, I have a timid nature within timid nature. And yet Jesus has called every one of us to be goer-outers in this. And he tells them right from the very beginning of this, and I'll put it in this term, purpose matters, purpose matters. Listen, guys, gals, if you know Christ as your Savior, I just want, I want to ask you, what is your purpose? What is your purpose with Jesus? Well, look at what the text says. Be with him. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, follow him. You are to be a be with follower of Jesus. You're to be someone who also has this reality of being sent out. And know this, you and I are not sent out without authority. We have been given authority. And here's the encouragement. It's not my authority and it's not your authority. Be encouraged. God has given you the Spirit of God and the Word of God as your authority. You have been fully equipped to do what He fully expects. And we are caught up in a selfish, it's all about me, Christianity world. And that's not the call. That's not the call. Jesus has authority in a title. Jesus has a plan. Scene number three, we'll finish it here. Jesus goes home. Jesus gets criticized. Oof. How interesting is this? People are crushing in on him. He picks out his disciples to follow him. And then he gets hammered. Watch this. Verse 20. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again. <laughs> it's just like, please leave me alone. I just want to go home, right? Uh, uh, then he went home. Crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his what? When his what? When his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, wait, who was saying this? His family is saying, he is out of his mind. Whoa. Whoa. Hey, words people say hurt. The whole sticks and stones, utter lie. Sticks and stones break my bones. Words never hurt me. Lie. Words can crush. And especially when it's from your family. I don't know, maybe today, right now, some of you are like, yeah, I totally get that. My family thinks I'm totally out of my mind for following Jesus. Boy, you're in good company. Jump down to verse 31. Because actually, I think it, the text picks up. We'll come right back in the paragraph between here. But verse 31, it continues on in the movement. And his mother and his, by the way, his who? His mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Why would they be outside seeking him? Answer, because of verse 20 and 21. 
because they're trying to get a, they're trying to touch into him to be able to go, Jesus, you are out of your mind. Verse 33, and he answered the people around him, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I'm just going to let you know I'm not even going to get into the teaching moment that he has here. I actually, in the flow of Mark, I don't think that's the big deal. What the big deal to flow here, and we'll catch it up in the middle here as a second, is this whole criticism genre that's taking place right at this moment. By the way, his mother is seeking to talk with him to tell him he's out of his mind. Whoa. His mother. By the way, who's his mother? Help me. I'm going blank. Who is it? Oh, that's right, Mary. And yet, why in our world do we Make Mary deity-like. I mean, friends, go back. (laughs) Go to Luke chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Mary had some pretty keen insight on what was going on. And she's one right here who's thinking, my son's going out of his mind. And she's coming in. And also his brothers are coming in. Dude, uh, listen, bro. We play basketball and football in the backyard. And I know you're pretty good. And you, you like didn't do any of the nasty stuff. But <laughs> you're out of your mind. Now, let's add to the criticism. Because the scene between this, verse 22 and following. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. Why did they come down? Answer. Verse 6. Because they're all trying to figure out how to destroy him. So they all come down to his hometown. Come down means they come from elevation because it's actually they're going north. They come down from where he's, and they're saying he's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And Jesus called them to him. Guys, come here a sec. And he said to them in parables, parables, parables are stories that teach. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless his first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. If you're like, what in the world he's talking about? He's saying this. Guys, your argument is ridiculous. That's what it is. It makes absolutely no sense. Listen to what you're saying. It's foolishness coming out of your mouth. By the way, this is the fruit of the issue. Now we get to the root of the issue. Jesus is saying what they're saying is foolish. Now he goes to their heart. Verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whenever blasphemes uh, they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. (laughs) People talk about uh, unforgivable sin. Is it suicide? Is it this or that? Just look at the text. It's actually quite simple. Listen, the work of the Spirit of God is to draw people to the Lord. The work of the Spirit of God is to open people's mind. How does a person come to come in redemption and forgiveness with the Lord through Jesus Christ? By the work of the Spirit of God in them. And if you shut off the work of the Spirit in your life, that is something that does not lead to any opportunity other than what you've chosen to allow happen. Separation from Him. You've given up the opportunity to be able to know the Lord because of the work of the Spirit. And when you say, like, I'm not having anything to do that with that, you are rejecting the work of the Spirit of God in you. And I don't know, maybe that could be you today. Maybe you're here today and you're kind of thinking all this Jesus stuff is an absolute ridiculous thing. And all you people who are here are just a bunch of crutch-hanging saps. I'm thrilled you're here, and I'm not mad at you if that's it. I just want for you to be able to hear what the Bible has to say. You have to make a decision, but know this. The Bible says 
that if you shut him off, his work in your life, you bear the eternal consequences of that. I don't say that with joy. I say that with love. Hear what he has to say. Hear what the Spirit of God is doing. Hear him. Hear him. Because I don't want to be a sap. Neither do you. Hear him. Hey, let me just wrap this up. Criticism matters. Criticism matters. If you are a uh, with Jesus, going out for Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, follower of Christ, I'm really sad to say this, but you will be criticized. You will. You will. If you are a walking with Jesus, going out with Jesus, in the authority of Jesus' person, you will be criticized. And note, you will be criticized by the religious. The religious will scorn you. You're out of your mind. People will use you. They will. Just know that. People are going to use you. Your family maybe even criticize you. But I would just encourage you, if that's the case and you're thinking, go to Philippians chapter 3 this week and read it. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And in that statement, he says, I want to know what it is to suffer for Christ so that I can understand him more. Because you do not understand Christ with depth if you do not understand what suffering in Christ is. I I, I would just add here, might you be stuck in criticism? Might you be at that point where you're just, people are criticizing you, family, friends, school, work, they are criticizing. You're just stuck in fear of that. Hey, don't be surprised by it. It's hard. It's hard. And I don't think Jesus in any of this that night, he's sitting back and going like, ah, it's no big deal. Ah. Hey, 100% God, 100% man. And that latter part means it kept him up that night. It hurts. It hurts. But it cannot stop you. It cannot. It cannot. You will be criticized. You will be used. But it cannot stop you. I might add on another side of this, might you be looking for the approval of others? Stuck in the yearning for the approval of your mom or your dad. Might you be stuck in that? Get out. Get out of it. Get off of it. I know about it. And a lot of people in this room know about it. Don't let it hold you back in following Jesus. Just that yearning for mom or dad to say, fill in the blank. It hurts, but it cannot stop. Don't be stuck in criticism. Feel the hurt. Look to Jesus. And let's roll, baby. Let's roll. Lord, thank you.
thank you for the amazing authority that you claim, that you bear, that you have. And that authority is summed up in this title that we have of the Son of God. (laughs) God in the flesh. Authority in a title. And Lord, I, I personally, I love the fact that it's so clear as we continue to walk with Jesus, we will see he has a plan. Not making it up, not trying to figure it out, not being willy-nilly about things, but a plan, a strategic plan in what he's doing. I love people who have a plan. And how encouraging and refreshing it is to know my Savior has a plan. He did from day one. And it carries all the way through. Oh, the reassurance of that. And Lord, it's also stunning to me that in these just randomish, almost seeming series of scenes that we've been walking through in these first three chapters of Mark, I come to this last one. And I'm just amazed that you didn't crush people who criticized you. (laughs) You loved them. You were patient with them. It had to hurt. To see the very ones that you with your own hands created and made mocking you missing you, just not getting you. And yet you still went to the cross. How sweet you are. How encouraging that is for us. Lord, I just pray for anyone this morning who may be in this room who is just kind of down and out or discouraged or just in hurt because of criticism. Oh God, would you just love on them in a way that only you know how to do? Wow, you're amazing. You are stunning. You are beyond belief. next Sunday we're going to see you really starting to teach oh yeah Mark chapter 4 bring it on God more of you more of you more of you in the precious name of Jesus we pray amen